listening to Behind the Soundcheck, a podcast dedicated to bringing you all of the stories from behind the scenes of the Aussie music industry. Tiana here with you once again. For those of you joining me for the first time, welcome. If you'd like to get a little bit of backstory about this podcast, you can jump back into episode one. I will not bore everyone with it in this episode. For everyone else who stuck around, a huge thank you, a welcome back and an awkward air high five. I am currently holding my hand up in my bedroom. It's not weird. It's a little bit weird. But it is excellent to have you all joining me today. And guys, somehow we are already up to episode five. Now, two weeks ago, I spoke with music publicist Sammy Anshaw from Beehive PR about all things music publicity. But today we're going to branch off more into the marketing and social media vein of things with a man extremely well versed in the brave new world that is the current music industry. When he's not swinging his axe for Byron Bay extreme metal lords from crisis to collapse, Chad Ellis is wielding his extensive marketing and social media know-how, working as the marketing and publicity artist liaison for heavy music label Black Mountain Music, and also supporting the industry like nobody's business. Teaming up with D.W. Norton of Super Heist in his label adventures, Chad's a reluctant social media superhero. And he's a man with some pretty amazing stories from across his musical journey so far. So let's get to it and jump into the episode, Pimp My Brand. So Chad, welcome and thank you for joining me today. You're an extremely busy human, so I'm very grateful that we can kick back briefly and have a bit of a chat. Uh, thanks for having me on board. I've been um, excited ever since the initial invite and uh, yeah, super looking forward to having a chat to you. Yeah, well, I would hopefully try to make it live up to your expectations. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll rate it at the end. Um, to kick things off, obviously you are on guitar duties for From Crisis to Collapse and it's also a band on the roster for Black Mountain Music, which brings me to my first talking point with you. I'd love you to expand a little bit on your creative journey and how you came to be in a band and then joining the Black Mountain Music adventure, as it were. It's a, it's a pretty wild sort of journey is definitely the best word to describe it. I suppose my, my musical exploits and journey started as a very young child and um, it's not like I, was, I grew up in a house full of music, like musical people, but... I was definitely brought up around good music, you know, records and stuff like that playing. And I've got a I've got a brother who's ten years older than me as well, so he introduced me to all of the cool shit, you know, all of the mm. awesome grunge of the nineties and Alice Cooper and, you know, Sabbath and then Metallica and Pantera, all those bands that are like my foundational bands. But yeah, I was like I was only thinking about this a few days ago, that you know how quintessential Australian high school you go on your like annual school trips to the snow. Yes. And every school does it, the annual snow trip. And well, like I, I remember I was getting some sort of guitar lessons off a mate who at the back of my house. I was about 12 is when I started. And then, um, like, you know, I was 13, I think. And well, you know, mum was giving me the $20 each fortnight <laughs> to pay the bag to go to school and pay for that, that snow trip. And um, this is the, this is back in the days before electronic fund transfer and all this. And um, I was grabbing that twenty dollars. I initially was sort of hitchhiking to like Lismore, which is like a big sort of regional town near where I grew up. And I was paying off my first electric guitar with that twenty dollars each fortnight. Yeah, like what a little bastard! But, um, <laughs> it's adorable. It came to it came to the um it came to the week where. 
it was crunch time. I had to tell mum because we were going on this snow trip apparently in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so she gave me the final 20 and it was the week before the trip and I grabbed the guitar because it was only like 900 bucks or something. And I brought it home and she's like, are you excited about the snow? And I'm like, mum, I'm excited about something. I've been paying off this guitar. And she just flipped it. Because, you know, there wasn't much. There wasn't much money in my house. We'll buy, you know, mum was buying cars each year to get through the next red yard and all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so I shot her my new guitar and an amp combo. And she's like, I'm angry, but I'm also very, very impressed for our chat. <laughs> <laughs> Best reaction <laughs> ever, mum. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was sick. And it was a Friday. And I went to, she took me to the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the bush. And I was like this jam night at this bumfuck town called Whippery. And all the, all of the um, bumpkins would go out there and rehearse and get together and smoke spliffs and play music. And I was there, and that was my first uh, proper band practice with my teenage band. And I was in, um, so yeah, first I got my electric guitar, I was in band practice, and I was in bands, and I was in that band for a long time and until school broke up. And then I moved to the Gold Coast for a while, for about three years with the Palmy. And yes, Palmy. Cool, yeah, Palmy Army. Palmy Army. Jefferson <laughs> Avenue, just up the road from the um, surf club, which you, you may or may have frequented yourself. Um, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of shenanigans in that joint. And, oh, um, yes. Yeah, they got introduced to some cool guys up there, pretty like pretty well after I moved up there, and I was in another band up there. And that's when the scene was, like the live music scene was, to me, was pumping. It was like 2001. You know, internet wasn't, wasn't huge, there wasn't streaming. People, if they wanted to listen to music, they had to buy it. If they wanted to see bands, they had to go see, watch them. And the live music thing was just, just smashing it on the southeast Queensland circuit. And, you know, like we're playing with bands like Butterfly Fair, Funk Lodo, and all those sort of acts. You know, that was, that was, um, that was the hub. And you'd be playing a couple of times a week and it was just awesome. So, yeah, like I've been hungry to play in, play in, in bands and, and stuff like that very young age and soon after that I moved I moved back to the north coast and decided to get sensible um, <laughs> and yeah which was a bit of a shock and I you know I did an apprenticeship did a construction apprenticeship and dabbled in music but it was like a like an afterthought you know chasing girls and going out partying was definitely more of a priority and then yeah I moved to Brisbane and dabbled in music a bit more and it was in some grunge bands and stuff like that but it wasn't until I moved back to the North Coast about eight years ago that, because I, I didn't play music for a couple of years, I probably had two or three years off where I just had guitars and stuff in storage and I just couldn't be bothered. And the scene has really died off. So I moved back to the North Coast and there wasn't a scene. There, was, mm. there weren't bands getting around, there weren't venues. Yeah, it was quite lame. So, you know, there was no drive there and I just sort of took up the normal mundane stuff and focused on work. And then I got really hungry. Yeah, like seven or eight years ago, and and um, joined a band with a mate, and started playing a couple of gigs, local gigs, and that's where I got the hunger back. But the band wasn't really my style, and I was writing all the music, most of the music, but a lot of the stuff I was putting forward for the guys was like, yeah, nah, it's a bit heavy, and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing. So I started looking elsewhere, and joined up with the Crisis guys. I was looking to fill out for the lineup in sort of February and March 2017, and yeah, I put my name, sort of reached out to them and said, hey, I'm keen. Actually, no, it was before that. It was 2016. It was 2016 and before Christmas. And then I 
they sent me demos, are really cool, and I um, started looking at the songs and looking at all the scores and trying to learn them, and I'm like, holy shit, I can't play this. Come to rehearsal? No. Oh, I've got an excuse. Yeah, I'm coming, and then I'd make up something else. And then, yeah, like early early 2017, they had some shows lined up, and I missed the first show, which, you know, in theory, I probably would have played if I pulled my finger out and got to rehearsal early <laughs> enough. But anyway, I missed that gig. I said, I'm just going to come down and hang out with you guys. I didn't do that either. But then I, I rang them that night from then on. It's just been a big family. So, yeah, there's been a big musical journey. But it's weird. Like, it's amazing how there's a flow on effect. So, yeah, like, especially when I joined Crisis, I, I kind of went, this band is worthy and, and deserves real drive and someone to just sort of get get super hungry and start chasing all the opportunities and that's where I sort of stood up a little bit and um, that's where I developed my more so my love for yeah management and the behind the scenes sort of thing. I wasn't even on Facebook until about 2016. No way. I thought I was a holdout. <laughs> no, no. I refused. I just, I, and if it wasn't for the band prior hitting prices to collapse, was like, shit, you got to have a Facebook page because these venues won't put us on unless we've got one. And, and, you know, we did the lame-o, chuck up a couple of posters and look at this, see you there, sort of thing. Coming soon. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Come and wreck your neck. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, and like, so that's the only reason I joined it. And then I, I sort of refused to have a personal profile for a while and I tried to have all these aliases and stuff like that. <laughs> But, you know, I sort of embraced it when some crisis the class came around and um yeah, it's led so many opportunities. Like it's it's such a such an you know, social media in general is just a a marketing tool and a networking tool and it's led to a lot of opportunities which, you know, has got me to where I'm now, like, you know, shit. You you start linking up with musicians from across the world and, and managers from across the world and you start doing research yourself and, and connecting dots about who's who and, and and what interests are and what trends are. and um, Yeah, you can just sort of make some really good educated decisions. You can reach out to some really smart people and get inside of them. And yes, yeah, so that's sort of that's sort of my journey. But, you know, I've done some really, done some pretty cool shit. I've achieved some really cool stuff playing in bands. And, you know, for a while there I neglected certain things as well to play music and then I went reverse and neglected music to, to chase other pursuits. I've, I've, I've made a decision, like a, a very solid personal pact with myself for years ago that I'll never turn my back on music or the industry again. Isn't it funny how, I don't know, for me, I did I studied music at uni. I grew up with a mother who's a music teacher. Like It was inevitable it was going to be part of it, but I walked away because I felt burnt out from it. And here we are 10 years after I finished that degree and I was like, I I have to do this. I can't not do it no matter what capacity I'm doing it in. And yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it's crazy how it, it just sticks with you. So I'm really glad that you did give it multiple chances and that you stuck with it because it leads to some pretty amazing stuff. I think that's the poison chalice of being a creative person as well. Mm. Like it's, um, it's so rewarding and fulfilling, but it, it almost eats you up because you're always thinking about creating. Yes. <laughs> whether it's, whether you're writing or you're, you're um, painting or drawing or you do graphic art or something or, or, or music, it's, being a creative person is it's a different thing and it's a different life and it's really hard to explain to people who aren't 
creative, but yes, you almost don't have control over it. But for me, like having the break and experiencing some of the stuff I did and then and then it sort of it just made me realise what I want and what I need in my life and it really did sort of um, complete me again. Yeah, which I think is an awesome way to look at it. And I personally just love, as a side note, that someone who is listed as a social media guru only got Facebook in, was it 2016? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that because... I don't know, some people have spent their whole lives on it and I think they, they're the ones that actually need to stop using Facebook because they're becoming nuisances. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong, I didn't write my own bio as well. The one you've written uh-huh. the one you've, the one you've read out. I don't, I don't claim to be a guru, but I certainly, I'm open to a lot of advice and mm. uh, it's not that I've had formal training in it, but I've, I've spoken to quite a few experts and I'll tell you what I did. Like, so when, when some crisis had collapsed, um, when I joined the band and we we're, were writing music and sort of prepping for our first gig, and and I, I committed to the band as in I want I want this to exceed in all parts. And I and I think with a band, a, a serious band, it's about the music is probably thirty percent of the whole thing. And I really reckon business. There's, there's music and there's business, and business I think dominates if you if you don't want to keep playing at the same local club every week. The business has to has to be stronger. So what I did was I, I reached out. I, I, I had a bit of a thought bubble and went, "Who do I idolise here? Who, who do I want to model after? Who, who do I really admire?" One of the first people I, I spoke to was Graham Nixon from Resist Records in Sydney and um, yeah. uh, Parkway Drives manager. Because you know, I went, he, he's a guy like Parkway Drives. I think as a band, they're, they're sick. As a brand, they're even better. Mm. And and who's the man behind them? Graham Nixon. And so I went to him and it was amazing. He was so open and almost, he took on a bit of a mentor role for me and he's always on the email if I need him. We've had heaps of phone calls, chat, um, give heaps of, of, of advice. And, and to him, he kind of went, one of the first chats we ever had on the phone, he said to me, and your, your music can be the best, the best music in the world technically or whatever. You don't have a network and if you don't have a reach, it's pointless. No one is going to hear it. All the right people aren't going to hear it, and that's going to create opportunity for you. So, so yeah, we we sort of came with some strategies and gave me some suggestions, and I followed them. I practiced them. You know, yeah. I I came up with I, I wrote down lists of people I want to work with, or, or at least you know pick their brains on. I reached out to them, and that led to um, there's a band from the states called Nonpoint. They're like a new metal band. Just released their tenth album last year. Wow. And, you know, I've been a big sound non-point ever since I discovered them in early 2000. Just a big band. I'm a big fan. Saw them when they come to Australia, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Anyway, you know, I was just through social media. I started chatting to Elias Soriano, the singer, and he was starting up sort of artist management. And so, again, took on a mental role. And then he took on, like, a, a, a management role with our band for a, for a brief while when he first got signed. And then he sort of went, you know what, I'm going to hand this back to you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm on the phone if you ever need me to get that sort of thing. But, you know, like he, he gave me some really good insight and tricks and strategies with social media. You know, he showed me how to break down all of the data analysis of trends and, and what people actually, how, how to work out what your social media following is or how to target people. He's a man who really showed me that. and. You know, like so, like I said, I, I don't call myself a guru, but I certainly 
took note and I, I made notes and I, I had multiple Skype lessons with him on how to how to break down things and um, how to target people, audiences and how to pitch things correctly. And, you know, there's other people I spoke to. I spoke to a lot of agents and publicists and things like that over the last few years and, and they've all said, you know, you've got to come up with a different, you've got to come up with, you've got to be different, you've got to stand out. Yeah. Um, and you've got to do things differently and don't look for the front door. Always look for a side door or a top door. If you've got a bigger tunnel, do that as well. Um, get noticed. So, yeah, I've incorporated a lot of those things. And, yeah, I acknowledge that social media is super important. But I tell you this, if it wasn't for work, if it wasn't for the music industry, I would give it away tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Deactivate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Walk away. Yeah. Well, I might come back to that in a little bit. What I was really interested in as well, because the social media side does fascinate me, and I really like that you've come at it from quite a broad perspective, like getting at people in various facets of the industry's opinion, because everyone does ultimately use it for a similar output, but, you know, from very different aspects. But in terms of looking at it from a band perspective, I mean, you, Crisis as a band have a very, very strong sense of identity. Like, it's no doubt you guys know who you are as a band. And obviously you're heavy, but you've got these really positive things coming out of it. And I guess it's the notion of musical identity. I was kind of interested to dive in a bit deeper with you. I guess particularly looking at it from maybe more of a marketing and a promotional point of view as well. How did Crisis as a band really flesh out your band's musical identity? And why is being in control of your identity so important in the music industry? I think um, being in control of your own identity will, it's just, it's about integrity. And I think that um, if, if you maintain your integrity, you will endure. So, you know, I do see it a lot lately where I see a lot of bands who look, it comes across like they're doing what they can just to fit in. And what will happen is they will they will ultimately not, not endure all, the, all of the shit and all the stuff you have to, to get through to actually ultimately survive. But with From Crisis to Collapse, like, you know, quite a few, we've all been in different bands in the past, unsuccessful, some just hobby type stuff. But, um, we all from the start just sort of had a vision and the vision was to make this band stand out and use it as a vehicle to portray uh, our genuine thoughts and feelings and, and to sort of never make it feel like work. So it has to, has to, the moment feels like work, we will, we are out. You know, that's, that's our pack, our internal pack. But we genuinely enjoy it because we aren't putting on any sort of facade at all. And for us, it's an outlet. Um, like a lot of, like a lot of artists, it's an outlet. And so yeah, we can't hide that. So having the vision and having, having the vision, having the drive and then mapping out the plan is so important how you're going to execute. How, how you're going to move forward. But yeah, a lot of it comes back to the brand, you know, like we want our brand to be a certain thing. We want it to be positive. We want it, we want our brand to, um, empower people and we want to, we want people, we want our brand to unlock people's potential and, and sort of give them the, the motivation to pursue things and tell them that they can, you know. And yeah, it's, it's a funny beast from crisis to collapse. Like what you see is, is what you get. We're, we're very honest and there's like a no gimmicks type of thing that we put on. But I think that's what people really connect with. And, and like I said, integrity, that's what people will connect with overall and that's what will last. So, you know, we may not be growing as quick as some of the other bands in the scene, but 
you know, I can 100% say that the supporters that we do have are, we will have them forever. You know, we've, we've connected with them and they're, they're part of our family. Yeah, long haul fans. I think there's a lot yeah. to be said for that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And to flip it on the other side too, obviously you do work with Black Mountain Music and you've got, you know, Art of Liaison, all of that, all of those labels, social media guru. Um, <laughs> from the other side of it, what would it take for a band or an artist to really catch your eye? Obviously, you know what music you like and all of that, but how do you kind of flip it over? Is there a certain thing that will catch your eye? Do you look for that authenticity or is it just a bit of a guessing game when you're going through this kind of process? There's certain attributes that we that we look for. You know, DW and I, so DW um, from Super High and I are, are the label. And um, so, you know, we speak daily and we're throwing ideas at each other and coming up with things. But yeah, like, obviously the music, the music has to be good because it's got to be something that, that we genuinely believe in and we've identified artists when we're working with artists that we believe is world-class music. But then it comes down to the people and what the band and the brand have in mind. So, you know, how are they pitching themselves? How are they conducting themselves? If we see them live or if we catch them live or if we have people watching them live for us, sort of, you know, as a scouting type role, do they can do they perform with like a hundred percent conviction, or are they just going through the motion? Because we want bands and artists who stand behind what they do and, and play and perform and play like they're playing in front of five thousand people, even if there's only sixty people there. But they're the sort of people we want to work for. We want to work with, and you know, we check track history. We see what they're playing. You know, we also get information about what bands are. What opportunities they've been giving, and what and what what opportunities they've been sort of knocking back. There's a whole there's a whole range of things, but it comes down to music, and it comes down to talent, and it comes down to the way they conduct themselves. Mm. And it comes back to what you said about your own band. I guess you know if you've got that genuine drive and passion for it, you may not have thousands and thousands of people showing up, but I feel like eventually that does kind of shine through and connect. So I think it's definitely, it can be a bit of a slow road, but sometimes the best things are, so. Yeah, exactly right. Like, it's sort of slow, super, super quick. You know, there's that element of burnout as well. And and from a label perspective, we need to be really cognizant of, of that because we want to work with artists that are in it for the long haul and want to, you know, etch out a career. And so... Yeah, there's there's all those there's all those attributes and, and things that we identify that, that the qualities we want to work with and the qualities that we think we can nurture and further develop and they're the qualities that we think we can help build on as well. Mm, sounds like a very solid team. Making me want to start a band and you know try to <laughs> try to get in the label. <laughs> I won't put you through come that. Join, come join the family. Yeah, oh yeah, I might need to might need to up my game a bit. <laughs> Just briefly bringing you back into the social media side of things as well. Obviously, there's been a lot of change lately with the way that people are actually able to use it as a tool. I mean, the algorithms are sometimes just stacked against you. And obviously, the whole thing with likes has all changed. I guess from your perspective, not to give away all of your secrets, but for a band who's looking to pimp their brand, for lack of a better way to put it, what are some of the common mistakes that they might be doing or what are some really good tips to help them utilize it more as a marketing tool. Yeah, definitely. No, like the last few months it's been super weird and I've had to sort of really rethink like most avid users. Um had to rethink how we use it as a tool. But 
I think the algorithms now are starting to really rewind and reset to genuine reach. So it's really hard to get fabricated reach now. So even even if you boost an um like a post or do a off page ad or something like that, you're not going to get the bought reach that you used to get. So my suggestions are limit tags, limit links, and and throw them in your comments instead. Uh, limit images that have writing in them, and also check your insights. So um, start doing some regular content. So maybe post something once a day. Like if you want to track how your page performs, so whether it's a bed or a business or or whatever, post some regular content for a few weeks. And then go back and check your trends and see when your peaks were and see what your audiences were. And then you can sort of target your post copy and content to hit those, to genuinely authentically reach, hit those, those audiences that, that are liking your post or engaging with your post. You'll notice then too that, for example, some pages prefer, their audiences prefer video over just images. The less amount of text in your post, the better as well. Which, is, which can be hard as well because sometimes there's a big message you need to get out. If that's the case, you just need to trim it down as much as you can, but also get your message out and just be prepared to compromise your reach. And when you're writing an initial post, think about how what you write and how much you write and what you add into the copy of that post, how will that look in a boosted post um, like later down, you know, because there's like limited space and all that sort of stuff when it pops up on a tablet versus a PC. Common, common principles behind it. But yeah, the algorithms are wacky at the moment. They're super strange. That's why I just suggest that, yeah, just do some regular stuff, do a range of stuff with your posts, and then go back and check what was what was most popular and when, and start using that as your benchmark. Yeah, it's a brave new world, and already listening to that, I feel like I might just outsource some social stuff to you. That might just save a bit of time. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny you say that because I got an invite from D.W. Norton of Super Heist this afternoon uh, requesting me to be an admin on the Super Heist page. Oh, d- did you accept? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, keep, keep him hanging. <laughs> yeah, I've got to see how much he's going to, to cough up. Yeah. Mate. <laughs> yeah, negotiation time. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think a lot of that too can apply to any industry and that's so much awesome advice. I definitely need to up my social game. But to finish this up, I am going to continue on into a little lightning round that I'm calling the sound check sound off. Um, essentially, yeah. just a couple of quick questions that ideally you answer quickly without overthinking it, but you are more than welcome to overthink it if you want to. I am ready for the lightning round. Okay, let's do this. So, from Crisis to Collapse have played a heap of shows over the years, including alongside some pretty insane names, including Suicidal Tendencies and Sepultura, which is awesome, P.S. Um, yeah. But what's been a standout live show experience for you? What's been a time where everything has just gone right? Uh, well, the, the, the standout time for me would be Suicidal Tendencies because anyone who knows knows me knows they are my 100% all-time most favourite band. And it's funny because, like, the, the penny-dropping moment for me when I was a youngster, when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, was watching a, a um, recorded cassette of Rage the night before. My brother taped at 2 a.m. I was watching it the next morning on a Sunday, and I was watching the intro to You Can't Bring Me Down by Suicide Tennessee. Nice. Um, and that was when I went, 
I've got to be a rock star. <laughs> uh, and then and then finally get the opportunity, like I've met Mike here at some gigs in the past, and a fan and a fanatic, and I finally get the opportunity to, to play with Suicidal on the Goldie, and then getting called up on stage with them on, on the last song for Pledge Your Allegiance, and we're all dancing around, and, you know, like I'm grabbing Marco and holding him above Dave Lombardo while he's hovering on, on the drum kit. Stop it. it. A bullshit blowout moment, and um, yeah, that can be pretty bloody hard to do. That's diabolically amazing. I love that so yeah. hard. Well, I'll give you another one, though. When we play with Sepultura, so a lot of it, like, what from Class to Class have achieved in such a short time, time is just, like, mind-blowing for all of us. But um, we just finished playing and at Sepultura at Eaton Hill, which is just, like, an incredible venue. And we're up in the green room. We're sharing a green room with Death Angel and... Our thing, up until only recently, was like we used to have a bottle of tequila at least one. Just throughout the gig, and we'd be drinking on stage and before the thing, and we cracked out this bottle after we got off stage, after Steph Angel got off stage, and uh, Mark and the boys of Steph Angel, that tequila? He's like, yeah, you want some? And there we were, we'll just, we just smash this bottle together, we'll have a hoot upstairs. We had, we had Gus's parents up there backstage with us, and they're having photos with Steph Angel, and it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, experience. Yeah. yeah, it was just like one of those bullshit, look at each other, you know, everything's sort of blurry across the table. I'm like, are we really sitting with Death Angel right now having this moment? Is, is Gus really wearing Mark's uh, black leather jacket that's hanging on his clothes rack? You know, yeah, it's it a bit of a pinchy moment. Kicking goals, bloody hell. <laughs> like well, it. it's, it's kind of it's kicking goals, but the goals you never really like. That was something I never even saw was achievable. Actually, yeah, <laughs> kicking in that kicking goals you never knew existed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Creating goals and then kicking them immediately yeah. in the neck. Surprise goals are my favourite goals. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't that that wasn't so lightning round, but I didn't know but... that response too much. I'm sticking to the rules. Ah, a great story is a great story. To hell with the rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, for a cliched question, you are stranded on a desert island with only one album to take with you for company. What are you taking and why? Oh, so, it would be so hard to not take, you know, uh, Suicidal Tendencies. There's a range of albums there, but, you know, there's a couple of albums like um, Suicidal for Life. You know, it's really hard to sort of, picture my life without them, even though they're the sort of thing you don't listen to each day mm. and whatever, but they got, you know, as a teenager and whatever, they got me through some really tough times. I just remember them being, their music being there in the tough times and also in the really good times. Mm. So, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna say Suicide Tendencies, Life, and Revolution. I like it, and I also like that it harks back to one of your favourite live performance memories. We've come full circle. It's beautiful. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> This now, life is a beautiful thing. Oh, isn't it just? <laughs> now, this one I'm going to throw at you from a social media perspective and I'm going on the assumption that you had MySpace back in the day because if you didn't, it's going to mess up my question. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm going to put the caveat in here, right? <laughs> um, my band on the Gold Coast called Novus Kin um, had MySpace because it was the MySpace revolution in like early 2000s, but I was no way... I was not in a bit of straighter. I didn't have an email address <laughs> back then. Oh. I didn't have a computer. But anyway, I was shy of my darn. Oh, I don't know if it's going to work. I was going to say, because um, you had to have Sorry. a profile song on your 
Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it does have a song embedded playing on your MySpace page. So I was wondering if you had a profile and what song was playing on your MySpace page back in the day. <laughs> well, we had a profile. I couldn't even tell you what was on that profile. I don't even know if I've ever sort of vaguely remember seeing our, my, our MySpace um, page. But if I was to have, retrospectively, if I was to have my own MySpace profile, it would be the Dunder Chief by ACDC. Oh, a classic. <laughs> I don't even want to know what's on mine. I'm really glad I don't know the login because I feel like there's just a whole world of nope happening on that day. Dig it up. Oh, maybe. Um, so last question of the lightning round. I actually am inspired by one of the first things you said. You mentioned you bought the guitar with the ski trip money. Do you still have that guitar? No, I don't. I did the typical, um, typical teenage grunge punk rock thing and I wrote I wrote shit all over the neck and, and stuck stickers all over it and pulled parts off it so I looked, you know, punk as hell and, and whatever. And I think it ends up breaking it. I think it's, I think it's the, it's the same guitar I tried to re-strip to paint myself in the backyard and, yeah, it was. So I, I've had this great idea to, to strip the paint back and paint it silver. <laughs> for whatever glam reason that was. And there's also this, this stage in my life, in my late teenage years, where I liked weapons, you know, I, I had star knives and all these sort of things. And, yes. Um, I remember I had the guitar, I'd stripped it back with oven cleaner, which is apparently the no-no, and I re-sprayed it, um, silver, with the spray, spray can, and I had it in the backyard drawing, and I was drawing star knives at a target in the backyard, and I, <laughs> I missed my target with this rogue star knife, and Struck the guitar. With the oh. guitar. I don't think I ever. I didn't bring it back from the dead after that. Well, it's a pretty metal death for a guitar <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Chad's first guitar and lack of ski trip. It lived a it lived a rich life. <laughs> I regret nothing. Yep, yep, I love it. Um, so last question to close it out. I'm asking each of my guests to share with me a song or a sound that changed their life something that has heavily impacted you, whether it's been professionally or personally, and something that still is a special memory for you sonically. Have you got a song or a sound to share with me? Oh, but I, I wish I was super super romantic and, and you know, I enjoy sitting on my back deck and listening to the lorikeets in the morning and, and all those sorts of things. And I do like it when children are laughing and playing, you know, the path down the road. But, um, you know, like I said, there was that moment when I first heard You Can't Bring Me Down by Suicidal, which, which was just like this whole, oh, oh shit, bullshit moment. But um, when my daughter was born a little over five years ago, there was a whole issue and there was emergency cesareans going on and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I was in the, I was in the, the surgery, I was in the theatre as well the whole time. I, I always had this image of that the surgeons like listening to Beethoven and la, 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 just being super super finessed with their no it's just like a butcher's shop in there and there's guts and stuff going everywhere <laughs> I'm digressing um, but yeah the moment I heard Dulcie my, my daughter Dulcie make her first her first cry was just this um, overwhelming overwhelming moment which put so much of my life into perspective where you know, the things that used to really get to me all of a sudden just don't get to me anymore. Um, they don't bother me. And 
And you also had this realization with your first child that, oh shit, I'm responsible for this person. So mm-hmm. yeah, that crying and that noise um, and the look of her, that whole moment was just this whole coming of age thing for me. And um, yeah, they'll stick with me forever. Ah, oh, I'm not gonna lie, I've got a little bit of a goosebumps thing happening. That's really beautiful <laughs> and really special. And yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, should, should I uh, remove that and go back to the suicide tendencies? I don't want anyone crying now. No, no, oh, I'm not. A, I'm no crier, but yeah, I'm just. I'm just admitting there was a little bit of you know, <laughs> a moment. <laughs> um, well, I think that's a really, really lovely note to end this on. I'm really, really grateful for your insight and your overwhelming support. You are such a strong supporter of the industry on so many levels, and for anyone who is obsessed with heavy music or just good music obviously should head along to a crisis show when they can and I'm just so grateful and I'm so keen to see what you have up your sleeves next. Yes, the, the majestic of, of Chad. No, I, you know, I, I don't have, I'm so focused on a lot of things at the moment that um, I must admit being creative is, is a bit of a task at the moment but um, mm. it, it'll, it'll sort of come back out and no doubt overwhelm me again but um. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to have a chat tonight and um, I'm loving your work. I'm just loving what the sound check is standing for and I was stoked to see you launch this, this podcast series and um, I'm just super thankful to be a part of the, the kickoff series. Uh, oh, I'm so, yeah, love back at you. It's it's a really, really nice thing and, yeah, at least just even just have a chat. It's just nice to have a good old chat with people sometimes. <laughs> You've got my number. Yes, uh, I won't. A, I won't abuse it. Yeah, no, thank you. And yeah, that's the end, my friend. And thus ends episode five of Behind the Soundcheck. And what an awesome couple of weeks it's been so far, chatting with so many incredible people in this industry. If you would like to grab a listen to any previous episodes, you can either jump over to my website, The Soundcheck, which is www.thesoundcheck.org. Or you can search Behind the Soundcheck in iTunes, Spotify and iHeartRadio, depending where you like to get your podcasts from. And if you are enjoying this little series so far, please spread the word and spread the love and help me celebrate some of these amazing people in the music industry. As always, a massive thank you and all of the love heart emojis to Osaka Punch for my delightful theme song. And of course, a huge thank you to Chad for joining in today. Stay tuned for episode six next Friday. I cannot wait to hang out with you again.